Well, it's so good to be with you this morning. And I dare to say we're all looking forward to a little game that's going to happen at 6.40 this evening. But I want to set it up this way. This is more important than what's going to happen later today. Anytime we can gather to worship, we can learn from the word. No matter what else happens the rest of the day, this should be the pinnacle of the day. And as I've been praying through this morning, knowing what's heading, what's coming this evening, like we're all well aware, I've been praying that the Lord would speak through me, speak to your hearts, and that as a church, we would be lifted up. Lifted up because we had an encounter this morning with the risen Savior. Lifted up because we have an opportunity to worship and come together in the middle of a world that is hurt and broken, where unity is hard to come, hard to come by. Don't you dare go look on social media and talk about unity and tell me we're okay. But hopefully in the time that follows, we're able to study God's word, to learn, to grow, and to see a bit of the future where we're heading as a church. Right now, we're in the middle of a 100-day challenge. And if you've been reading along, you're in the middle of Exodus, and there's incredible stories in Exodus. But today, we're pausing that. Don't pause the reading plan. Still pick up. You're still reading in Exodus, and we'll pick up the 100-day challenge next week. But for today, we get a break. (laughs) I don't mean it like that. We have a pause where we get to hear, hopefully, um, the vision that the Lord has laid on my heart for our church. Now, I think it's important, as we've been talking about backstories, that you hear a little bit more about my backstory. There was a video last week, you can look online and and see the latter years, but early in my life, um, you know, very early in my life, my family attended church, and, and we went to a local church until I was, you know, early elementary school. And then for a number of reasons, we stopped going as a family. But from that point until the middle of my high school years, I had what you might call a spiritual void, a spiritual desert, if you will, where my heart was sensitive to spiritual things, as I learned early in my life, but I had no instruction and no growth in that middle time until, and many of you know this organization, until Young Life came to Orchard Park High School. And as Young Life came to Orchard Park High School, I got involved. And actually, I still keep in touch with, um, like I mentioned at the town hall meeting, one of the leaders from that time frame. And he's been a huge influence on my life, Mike Mazel and, and others like him. But it was through Young Life and high school, and I can't even see who's in the room with the lights, in Don and Doris Meyer's living room, where we every Tuesday night, we'd clear out every stick of furniture Imagine that. Who would sign up for that? A bunch of high school kids coming into your house, cleaning out all your furniture, coming in, having a ruckus time, and then putting it back at the end of the evening. Any takers? Anyone want? But Don and Doris signed up for that week after week after week, year after year. And it was through that ministry in the middle of their home, in the middle of Orchard Park, that the Lord worked in my heart. It was through Young Life that a, a camp up in Saranac, up at the Adirondacks one night where I decided to call on Jesus as Lord and Savior for the very first time. And in that moment when I said, Jesus, I want to follow you, it was like he had a calling for me right away. And he said, Paul, your work in this world is going to, be, is going to tell others what you know about me. What you just learned, you're going to tell the world. So after camp and after high school, I became a Young Life leader in Orchard Park and then up in Eden, loving my time doing that. But then John Wood changed, God used John Wood to change the whole trajectory of my life. John, whom many of you know, asked if I'd be interested in starting here at our church, then the Wesleyan Church of Hamburg, as the high school director. I said, absolutely. It just seemed like the Lord was lining up all of these steps. 
So I started here in April of 1999, before many, some of you were even born, which is really interesting. But some of you remember those years when I started, and it was a wonderful time of ministry. And then as the Lord had me move through my ministry here, it went from, from student ministry to outreach to um, disciple-making and spiritual formation. And all the time, every time I, I say to the Lord, I said, God, use me as you see fit. I am really putty in your hands, God. Whatever you have next for me, I will say yes. Whatever direction you want me to go, whomever you want me to minister to and talk to, my answer has always been yes, and here we are. As I look back at the last 30 years of my life, I feel as though the Lord has put all of these different opportunities right in front of me to prepare me for the journey we're on together as a church. And I couldn't be more excited. One passage that I've come back to over and over throughout the years is found in Luke 5, and we'll get to it in a moment. But I think in this passage, we really catch a glimpse this morning of where the Lord wants us to go as a church, who he wants us to be in the years to come. Because I love the history, and obviously I've been a part of the history for many years, for 20 plus years. But the Lord isn't done with us yet. He isn't done with the Springville Crossing campus down in the main, right on Main Street in Springville. He isn't done with South Creek over in Eden, Evans, Angola. You know where South Creek is. Hello, Creekers. Welcome. He's not done with Bayview and McKinley and what happens here. And in fact, I think our future together is really, really, really exciting. If you will turn to me to Luke uh, chapter 5, if you have your Bible app, if you have your Bible, it'll be on the screens, whatever you need to do to follow along. But this passage, I believe, is going to speak to us this morning and help set the direction, help set our direction into the future. Uh, this passage that we're going to get to, there's one part that I really want to talk about and dive into, but I think I need to set the table, if you will, first and give a little background. You see, Jesus was walking with his disciples one day, and as they were going along, a man fell flat on his face in front of Jesus, screaming, Jesus, if you are willing, make me clean. You see, the man was a leper. And I won't get into all of that right now, but this guy was sort of ostracized from society. Nobody wanted to be around him because he had this disease that was highly contagious. So lepers would walk around screaming unclean, and if you came near them or you heard them screaming unclean, you would take wide circles around them not to come in contact with them. But this man falls on his face right in front of Jesus. Jesus, if you are willing... Make me clean. I love Jesus' response. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And this is the important part of the story for today. Verse 14. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest in this, and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Don't tell anybody what just happened. Keep it quiet. Because Jesus knew what was coming. Verse 15. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him, but he to, and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Even though Jesus told him, don't tell anybody, I want this to be a secret, because Jesus knew if word got out, people would flock to him, bringing everybody who needed to be healed. And that's exactly what happened. 
person after person, disease after disease, illness after illness was brought to Jesus and he healed them all. That's his character. That's who he is. He looks at us with compassion and the needs of our lives and he touches and he reaches out his hand and he healed them. Well, that sets the stage for what we're gonna study today. If you have your Bible, turn to, like I said, Luke 5, and we're going to start in verse, uh, at verse 17. One day as he was preaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present to heal the sick. So men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house and lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to because of the crowd, they went up on the roof. Imagine that. They went up on the roof and lowered him on a mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Right in front of Jesus. It's an incredible picture. This is the first time in Luke that we see the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. This is the first time they're mentioned. It's often thought that this is the first time because word of Jesus had been spreading. Just like Jesus said, don't tell anybody, yet people heard. Well, not only those who were sick heard, the religious leaders heard also. So on this day in particular, they had a front row seat. And it said they came from all over the place, from Judea and Jerusalem, and they were all seated right in front of Jesus, I imagine. They were probably a little bit jealous already. Because the crowds were following him. They wanted to hear everything he said. They heard that he was healing. They had to see what was happening. So I imagine they were sitting there, arms crossed, very cynical, just waiting for Jesus to mess up, just waiting for one wrong word to come out of his mouth so they could jump all over him. And we'll see in a few moments, they got exactly what they were hoping for. The next part of this first section that is incredibly interesting are the four guys. You know, I imagine the four guys, they bring their friend on a mat. Now, my goodness, this is good drama. They know that Jesus is doing incredible things. They have a friend. We don't know how old he is. We don't know how he became paralyzed. Chances are he was born this way. He may have had an accident. We, we just don't know. But we do know he's paralyzed. Back in that day, there wasn't an American in, with Disabilities Act, an ADA Act. There weren't accommodations for people who were paralyzed like they are today. Likely, he just stood somewhere and begged, overlooked by society, begging for food and money just to survive. But his friends, they knew if they could just get him in front of Jesus, that Jesus would do something that he would heal him. You see, they'd heard the stories. Maybe they heard about the leper who Jesus healed just a, a few verses earlier. Maybe they heard about the dozens and dozens of people who were coming and Jesus was taking care of all of their needs. Maybe they heard that and they said, if we can just get our friend, he will be able to walk again. They had an incredible sense of hope. Today, we're going to pick out three words from this passage, and the first of them is hope. 
Hope is something in our world right now that is really, really, really needed. If you look out in our world and you look at the different things that are happening politically or with COVID and all that's happening, people are starving for hope. Things look utterly hopeless at times, and many believe that to be true. But in the face of what's happening in their culture and this poor friend of theirs who was paralyzed, they said, we have hope that if we get him in front of Jesus, he can do something miraculous that we can't even understand. Hope is a powerful word. The cancer patient who has bad, bad news after bad news still holds out hope for a cure. Hope that something will come down the road that will make that person whole again. It's like the person who recently lost a job and they keep looking and looking, trying to find gainful employment in the hope that the next resume, the next interview will provide what they need, keeps them going day after day. Hope is powerful. Sometimes our world can be bleak. It can feel utterly hopeless, but hope gets us up out of bed in the morning. Hope that something better is coming. And that's what Jesus was offering to the situation and why this guy's friends brought him to the very place where Jesus was speaking that day. Our world lacks hope often. But let me say this. Those of us who follow Jesus, those of us who call him Lord and Savior, we should be the most hopeful people in the entire world. Do you realize that? Above anybody else, we should be full of hope. Theologian and, and, theologian and author N.T. Wright puts it this way. People who believe in the resurrection, in God making a whole new world in which everything will be set right at last, are unstoppably motivated to work for that new world in the present. People who have hope can change the world. People who believe there's something greater than what we see in front of us, that the Lord is God and he is on his throne. People who believe that can look at our world and know that this is in all that we see, that there's something better and we have hope for a future. And we're willing to take others on that journey to get there. During the town hall meeting a couple nights ago, somebody asked the question, how do we make this church vital again, alive. It seems like with COVID and all that's happening, it just seems like it isn't like it was even, even in March of last year before COVID. How do we get there? I think the simple answer is hope. We start to tell people about the hope of Jesus, how he can change lives, how he's engaged in our world. We believe it with all of who we are people will be attracted to that hope. As we worship then, it's not just worshiping and singing songs, it's worshiping because we know we worship a risen Savior and that he will make all things right. You and me as followers of Jesus, we should be the most hopeful people in the world because we worship a risen Savior who changed everything, who changed our lives and will continue to change lives. The first word is hope. In the next section, we begin to see Jesus' power and authority as it plays out in this situation. Verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith, when he saw the faith of the man's friends who lowered him in front of everybody, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. 
the Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When I was roughly 13 years old, I was playing soccer at a neighbor's house just down the street and across the street. Soccer was my favorite sport growing up, and I still love to play it, although I'm not as quick maybe as I used to be. But on this particular day, we were playing, and the ball got stuck in a tree. Sometimes that happens. We were playing in sort of a wooded area, and it got stuck in a tree. And a little lower branch, it wasn't any big deal. So I went over, jumped up, grabbed the branch, and started shaking it. I think shaking it until the ball fell to the ground. But as soon as I let go of the branch, I knew I was in trouble. Because instantly, I started to feel bee stings all over my body. And as I looked, I was swarmed by hornets. You see, at the end of the branch was a hive that I had just shaken. So I just started to run like my life depended on it. And maybe it did. I took my t-shirt off and I started whipping my back, trying to get them off. And I, as far and fast as I could. When I was done, I had stings on my scalp, on my back, on my arms, on my legs. I had over 30 stings. You don't, have, you don't want to shake a hornet's nest if you don't have to. But that's exactly what Jesus does in this passage. He shakes the hornet's nest. Everything Jesus did, he saw his crowd, he knew who was there, he knew that his words mattered to them. He knew that if he said, your sins are forgiven, that they would automatically assume that because God alone can forgive sins, that Jesus would be claiming to be God. And in their world, with the Pharisees, that's a, an offense punishable by death, actually. And Jesus knew this full well, and he shook that hornet's nest with all he was worth. He had just forgiven that man's sins right then and there, and he knew that the Pharisees could not handle that. He read the room. He knew who was there, and he was very intentional with his words. Very intentional with his words. But he didn't care. In this passage, we see the power and authority of Jesus the authority to forgive sins, the authority that can only be given to God, by God to Jesus to forgive sins. We see it on display. And the religious leaders couldn't ha handle it. That is really a theological term called grace. And it's our second word today, grace. This passage oozes with grace, saving grace. When somebody who's far from God and full of sin realizes that there's a Savior who loves them and they grab a hold of them, that grace, that saving grace, that unmerited favor of God that reconciles sinners through Jesus Christ, that's what this guy experienced. God can give that grace to whomever he wants. You can't do anything to earn it. You can't do anything to, to try and be good enough to get there. All we have to do is say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I want to walk through life with you. And as we do that, he offers us the saving grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. When blind, was blind, but now I see. We've all sung those words. 
probably many times in our lives, but do you realize the power in those words, the power of grace? The difference it can make in the life of a sinner who's far from God to understand the unmerited favor of God in his or her life. John Newton wrote those words to that song in 1772. He was an English poet and at the time an Anglican clergyman, but he wasn't always. Prior to that, his life took some interesting twists and turns. He was raised without any faith, without any knowledge of the Savior. And he was actually conscripted into the English, the Royal Navy, the English Navy at a young age, and he served on a ship going overseas. And I can't imagine that was a pleasant life. And then due to a set of circumstances, he found himself on a slaving ship. And he was engaged in the slave trade. An awful situation to be in. Something that makes all of our skins crawl. And then in And then in 1748, off the coast of Ireland, a violent storm blew up and the ship was about to be lost. And here's John kneeling, crying out to God, God, save me, save me. He was saved, not only physical, physically, but I believe emotionally and spiritually as he understood that God has more for him than being a slave trader that God can look at his sin and all that was going on in his life and say, that's not important to me. I look at your heart. And he experienced the amazing, saving power of grace. And he wrote the song. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. John was saying, I was a wretch. I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind. I had spiritual blinders on. I couldn't see anything. But now, now I see. Many of us in this room right now are watching online, if you're at Springville or uh, South Creek or at home in Bayview, many of us have experienced that same saving grace. You understand when John says, says, I once was lost, I now am found. You understand that. You understand it. But there's many people you come in contact with every day who still need to understand that reality, who still need to say there's more to life than I see at work, at school, your neighbors, whatever businesses you frequent, the person who takes care of you every day, they need to know what you know about God's saving grace. And you're the one who's supposed to tell them. It's really easy to come to church every week or watch online and forget those in our world who need to know Jesus. But as we move forward as a church, that's going to become a priority, that we're a church that's committed to telling others the good news of the gospel and watch the Holy Spirit transform them from the inside out. So how did Jesus react to the Pharisees thinking these things in their heart about blasphemy? How did he react to to all that was happening around him? Verse 22. Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, Get up, take your mat, 
and go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Isn't that incredible? Jesus knew what they were thinking in their hearts. They didn't have to say, we think he's blaspheming. They, he knew it. I wish I knew people's thoughts some days. Or maybe I'm glad I don't. He knew what they were thinking in their heart and he responded to it. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? You know what's easier to say? It's easier to say your sins are forgiven. Why? Because there's no outward sign that that had just happened. There's no outward sign you can say to somebody, your sins are forgiven. Nobody knows. But when you say, get up and walk, all of a sudden your credibility is on the line. All of a sudden everybody's watching extra closely because they know if this guy gets up and walks, this Jesus may be something. If he doesn't, he's a fraud. The tension in the room had to be immense. The Pharisees and the religious leaders who were sitting right in front of Jesus, they were like, <laughs> let's see what happens now. Everybody, it, it, you could hear a pin drop in the room. Jesus said, get up, take your mat, and go home. The scripture tells us, immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. He got up, took his mat, and went home immediately. Everybody was in awe. What? What just happened? The guys up on the roof who lowered their friend in front of Jesus, they're high-fiving each other. They're celebrating. They don't know what, they're amazed at what just happened. This guy who couldn't get through the crowd because he was on a mat and there was no room to get him there, all of a sudden, stood up. Grabbed his mat. I imagine the crowd separated for him this time. I imagine they made a path and he didn't have to step over people, but it was like the parting of the Red Sea. All of a sudden, the crowd split and he walks through carrying his mat right in front of everybody for the whole world to see. All the while praising God that God had touched him and done such incredible things. Praising Jesus that he had just healed him, that his life was now forever different. Not only did Jesus have the power, the authority to forgive sins, he had the power to heal. Jesus healed many people throughout his ministry. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. He healed those who were blind. He healed those who were lame, shriveled hands. He rose some people from the dead who had died. And those are only the stories that are recorded. We know that he healed many more than that. Even in our initial passage, he healed all who came to him. Everyone. All who came to him, he healed. And not only did he heal them physically, he healed people emotionally and spiritually. Listen to these words of Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30 as they're found in the message. And, and sort of close your eyes, and maybe I'm speaking directly to you with these words. Are you tired? This is Jesus speaking. Worn out? 
burned out on religion? Come to me and get away with me and you'll recover your life. I will show you how to take real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Take a deep breath. That's what our world needs to experience Jesus in this way. Because many are tired, many are worn out, many are burnt out on religion. But Jesus says, all that being true, come to me and I'll give you rest. Come to me and I'll minister to your spirit, to your heart, to your soul, to your mind. The unforced rhythms of grace will surround you. Who could use that right now? All of us, probably. And that's what Jesus offers. Nourishment for our souls. The third word is healing. Jesus offers healing to all who come to him. The three words we've picked out today are hope, grace, and healing. Hope, grace, and healing. There's been a group of us for the last four-ish months who have been working on new mission, vision, and values for the church. We were meeting for a long time, and my goodness, I don't like wordsmithing, but this was so much fun. As we tried to to discern and to see and to understand where God wants to bring us as a church. And today, I'm just sharing the vision statement. I'm just sharing the words that we want to use as the world looks at us as Watermark Wesleyan Church. What should they think? How should we be known in our community? And this is the phrase we've come up with. And it's a phrase, but I think it'll define who we are into the future. We desire to be an undeniable force of God's hope, healing, and grace impacting generations to come. An undeniable force of God's hope, healing, and grace impacting our kids and our kids' kids impacting those in our communities and our neighborhoods who want nothing to do with Jesus. Those are the ones who need to know of God's hope, healing, and grace. And my goodness, we're going to be the church that tells them. We're going to be the church that opens our doors to our community, who loves people well, who invests in Springville, in Eden, in Angola, who invests in Hamburg and Orchard Park. We're going to be the church that makes a difference everywhere we go by offering God's hope, healing, and grace. How many of you have friends that don't know Jesus, that maybe aren't paralyzed physically, but maybe they are spiritually, and you need to get them to the foot of Jesus because you know their lives are heading in a downward spiral. God has put you in that person's life for a reason to represent hope hope of something that they can't see or understand on their own, hope that there's more going on than they will ever imagine. Maybe you drag them to church and you bring them here, drag them. (laughs) Don't drag people to church. Bring them to church. 
But maybe it's just through conversations with you over coffee or lunch or over the fence or at school week after week, day after year, maybe year, day after day, maybe year after year, sharing the hope that you have in Jesus to a friend who's hurting. I'd love it if people drive by our campuses, whichever one they drive by, and they say, that's the church that has hope. That's the church that strives for unity. That's the church that's more concerned about the needs of others than they are their own needs. That's the church. And then they walk in and they experience something they never thought they would. They experience the healing power of Jesus as they engage in the ministries they have, as they come in spiritually and emotionally broken. They find ministries for their addictions, for their needs, for their emotions that are all out of whack. They come into Streams of Freedom, maybe. Streams of Freedom is an inner healing ministry we have, which deals specifically with these, uh, these issues and helps people heal from the inside out so that their, their wounds are healed. Maybe you know something about that. Maybe you need it yourself. Our healing ministries right now, they're getting so many phone calls based on the, all that's happening in our world that we're, we're, we're doing incredible things there. If you want to engage in that, if you need that help, call the church office and we'll get you where you need to go. And then as people come, they experience the saving grace of Jesus that transforms their hearts that they understand that there's a savior for their lives, a savior that wants them to know life to the fullest. We exist to be an undeniable force of God's hope, healing, and grace impacting generations to come. That's who we are, Watermark. I believe that's part of who we've been, but going into the future, that's who we're going to be the church who loves our community well, who loves people well, who offers them hope, healing, and grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this place that we're in where we're, we're, we're really deciding what's next for us as a church. And Lord, I pray that in the years that follow, that as people drive by our campuses, they would know that we are different they would know that we love well, that we care well, that we invest in the lives of others well. They would know that when they come here, they can deepen their spiritual walk and learn and grow and mature. Father, I pray that everything we do as a church would always point to you. We do none of this on our own. We only do it because we worship, we worship Jesus who died for our sins and rose again. At that point, our faith is real simple. But Jesus, we thank you for that sacrifice. We thank you for what we are doing here and we pray for our future together. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.